1: EM Weekly starting right now. Bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. Welcome to EM Weekly. And this week we don't have uh, Dan with us. He's out doing EM stuff. Go figure. And uh, so it's just, you got me. And But I'm excited because today we have the Region 3 Regional Administrator, Marianne Tierney, with us today. And, it, you know, I always like to hear about what's going on across the country. And, you know, it's neat about FEMA is that each region kind of has their own flavor. So we're going to learn a lot about what's going on there on the East Coast with, with Region 3 and East Coast. So I'm going to ask a question about that in a minute. But we'll figure this out. But so but. Marianne has a huge history. So she was the uh, deputy managing director uh, for emergency management in the city of Philadelphia. Um, and then she was in New York city office of emergency management. And then she's at FEMA region three seasoned emergency manager, a uh, lot of time on the job and I'm excited to have her in the studio. So Marianne, welcome to EM weekly.
0: Thanks for having me today.
1: So, Okay, the question I've always had and no one can ever give me a straight answer. Maybe you can. Why is like New York its own region?
0: Well, I mean, New York region two covers New York and New Jersey and then Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. And yeah, and all the FEMA regions follow the traditional kind of federal circuit. Right. So a lot of federal agencies have the same footprint and actually dates back to the circuit court system. Uh, and, you know, the judges would drive, would ride their horse through a circuit. And that's actually how the boundaries got set up for a lot of federal agencies.
1: Oh, well, that makes more sense now. I, I always forget about New Jersey because I'm a New York guy. so you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah. New, New Jersey, it's sandwiched right between New York and Pennsylvania. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a, yeah. All you know is when you drive through, you pay a lot of tolls. That's, um, so how did you get into, involved in emergency management?
0: Yeah, you know, it's an interesting story. So I graduated college uh, a long time ago before emergency management was something that you went to school for. And uh, I was at a college and I wanted to kind of take a year off. I had some ideas of what I wanted to do, you know, after college. And, uh, but I was like, I want to take a break. So I'm from New York City. Originally, I grew up on Staten Island. And I figured I asked spend a year with my parents and I'll get a job with government because I was I have a major in political science. I was like, you know, of course, I have to work for the government. So I graduated in 1999 and back then, you know, the internet was not what it is now. Like there wasn't social media. The internet was not as advanced as it is today. And websites like government websites were not very, not very developed. Right. So I went on, I was in DC at college and I went on New York City website and I started like ticking through the agencies uh, to figure out, okay, which agency would I want to get a job with? And I found the emergency management webpage. And they had, of all the city agencies, they had the best webpage. And I was like, all right, <laughs> this this is the place. And uh, and so I sent, like, you know, like when you go to a website and it's like contact us and there's like a form you fill out. So I wrote them an email, like an email, not even an email. Like I just filled out that form and I was like, hey, I'm graduating college. I, you know, I interned at DC emergency management college. I interned at FEMA in college. I'm really interested in coming to work at... New York city emergency management. And like, so I hit send and like, I wrote me back <laughs> and they were like, Hey, we have a job. So I went interviewed with them and, uh, and then I got a job there and I just like, you know, fell in love with it. It was a great, you know, it was a great place to work. I look very fondly on my time in New York city emergency management and, uh, still stay in touch with a lot of the people that still worked there when I was there. And, uh, yeah, that's how I fell into it.
1: That's awesome. you know, I always love the, the 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 trip that everybody has getting into emergency management because it's different for everybody and and so when you when you joined emergency management, I mean, were there a lot of females working in EM at that time?
0: Uh, in New York City, no, uh, there were, well, the New York City office was a lot smaller in uh, in 1999 when I started than it is now. Now I think it's probably over 200 people. When I started, it was like less than 50 people. So hmm. uh, it was a lot smaller and there weren't a lot of women, uh, but there were a few uh, experience. uh folks. Um, and not not a lot, though. Many times I was the only woman in the room. And and frankly, today, there are cases where I'm typically the only woman in the room. And if there's other women, I'm usually the only woman that's sitting at the table. Uh, so, you know, some things have changed, but some things have stayed the same. All
1: right. So as you guys know, here, October uh, for Ian Weekly has been Women in Emergency Management Month. And we try to highlight um, as many uh, women in emergency management as we possibly can, and so Marion's our first guest for for, uh, for this kickoff, so I think it's important to understand that the ability to have a diverse um, methods here in emergency management, we need to have a diverse crowd of people coming in uh, for emergency management, whether it's uh, minorities or women or um, people with uh, disabilities and things like this, so I think it's really important, and as emergency managers, I know that most of us uh, uh, believe in that, so... Uh, again, thank you for, for being here, for kicking this off for us. What are some of the challenges that you have, you know, in in Region 3 that are, that are unique to Region 3?
0: Yeah, that's a really, that's a great question. So for folks who don't know, maybe you have some international listeners, you know, FEMA has 10 regions, and Region 3 covers the Mid-Atlantic. So we have from Pennsylvania to Virginia, and then over to West Virginia. And uh, you know, what I've always found interesting about Region 3 is the real diversity of, uh, of the landscape, the geography, right? We have really large urban centers like Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, and then we have really rural parts of the region, like the areas in Southwest Virginia and then in West Virginia, which is primarily rural. So we have to be able to flex to urban and rural emergency management issues. That's one thing to be thinking about. Uh, And then our hazard profile is also really unique. Um, We've got the coastal storm threat uh, right on the coast, like in Hampton Roads and the Delmarva. But then we also are significantly impacted from inland Flooding, uh, flooding threats from hurricanes. So I think about Irene and Lee, which were substantial hurricane events in Region 3 that didn't really impact the coast. They were inland and really uh, kind of whacked central Pennsylvania in particular. And then in West Virginia, we have a pretty significant flooding threat. But that being said, it's not just natural hazards. We have to think about the technological hazards too. We have nine nuclear power plants in the region. Uh, we have, uh, we've had chemical spills that have been declared events. And then we have the threat of terrorism given our urban centers, you know, thinking about the nation's capital, Philadelphia, Baltimore as, as potential targets. And then we do get a lot of uh, significant number of national security special events. In fact, over half of the uh, secretary designated uh, national security special events have occurred in region three.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, and and one of the things I think is interesting, and you kind of brought it up with the the idea that you have a lot of rural areas, too, and you have the huge city centers, and and it's a complete different mindset um, between the two of them. How, How do you manage, and this is one of the things I love about FEMA, is that, you know, as a city emergency manager, you deal with your city, Right. Uh, you, you know, it's okay. I understand the 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 stakeholders there. I understand the the dynamics of the city, and then but with FEMA and even some state guys, you have to deal with all sorts of you know, out into the to the rural areas and the the dynamics and the stakeholders and the attitudes that are out there. What's the balance like for you when, you, when you're when you dealing with issues, specifically, say, like a large-scale storm coming in, where it's hitting the city centers and also the rural areas?
0: Yeah, well, you know, one of the things you have to think about is that cities are typically much better resourced than rural areas, right? So you can't make assumptions about what you're going to have available in the more rural parts of a state or an area uh, based on if, if you've only kind of dealt with urban urban situations or urban emergency management. You know, coming from New York and then moving to Philly, you know, I've got a certain set of, I think, you know, kind of principles or found foundational knowledge that was very like urban-centric. And coming to FEMA really opened my eyes to the challenges that rural emergency managers face, like really doing less with more, having to partner a lot more, having to think outside the box, and then just being really resource-strapped. And most emergency managers don't have the luxury of working in a 50-, 60-, 200-person office. You no, know, it's, it's a one-person it's sh- a one shop, and sometimes it's somebody's you know part-time job. And so really thinking about how do you meet people where they are in terms of what they can bring to the table and what their resources are. And then thinking about what's the support that the FEMA Region 3 team can provide to that full diverse set of emergency managers out there.
1: So we've really been talking a lot about the idea of professionalizing emergency management. And what I mean by this is that you just stated about the part-time job or the collateral duty job of emergency management. What can we do as an industry as, as emergency managers to really get stakeholders, city managers, mayors to understand that emergency management isn't just something that you give to Hey, Hey Joe, you're now the emergency manager for the next year, go learn it. Well, what can we do to make it better?
0: Well, I think, you know, it, it, there are so many local governments across the country. And then you think about the state governments and then FEMA, you know, I think the first thing is demonstrating value. Right. So emergency managers, emergency management operation in a jurisdiction has to demonstrate value. And in in this economic climate, and I think the way government functions now, I think that that value can't just be demonstrating your niche emergency management value. I mean, there are lots of things that emergency managers do and do well. Right. Base base skills foundational things to our profession that other agencies, it's not their core competency, and we can add value to other efforts, right? So if you think about the things that emergency managers do well, the first thing that comes to mind, in in my mind, is we coordinate. We are excellent coordinators, Uh, and there's lots of hard government problems that need good coordinators that know how to put together a team of people, develop a plan, and then action that plan, and so thinking about how you can help other agencies with their hard problems builds buy-in, right, and builds support. So I think it's one thing to kind of try to press people like, hey, this is really important. You have to pay attention to it. And that's important, right? Because from a political standpoint, from uh, an operational standpoint, it's important that emergency management be able to function and do its job for emergencies. But if you think about kind of the informal persuasion and buy-in and how that can be just as valuable, I think there's lots of things that we can do as a profession to do that.
1: Excuse me. Um, how do we as emergency managers, again, and this is uh, trying to trying to formulate this into the sense that as EMs, we know that what we do locally, right? And we know that we can rely on our state and we can rely on FEMA to come help us with either finances and sometimes material goods. But the, the the general populace, the, the the average citizen here in the United States, when they think about emergency management, they've automatically go to FEMA, and that FEMA is going to come in uh, on their on their white horses and and save the day. Uh, how do how do we do a better job of of saying, hey, look, at FEMA is just a support function, and they're not the response function. What are we doing wrong? I suppose I should ask.
0: Well, I think, you know, when people people when people see big natural disasters, right, they see FEMA. And so I think, you know, their natural inclination is to think that every disaster involves FEMA when we as a profession and, you know, certainly most disasters don't involve FEMA. You know, FEMA, FEMA arrives when the incident exceeds state and local capability and we provide support. And I think we, as an agency, are doing a better job of talking about our role. You know, we're one part of a team, right? Emergency management is a team sport. It's got lots of players. We are one player on the team, right? Now we, And we bring a certain set of skills to the team, like any player. You know, if you think about a baseball team, like you're bringing certain, certain skills to the table. Uh, but we are not the end-all and be-all, and we are certainly not the initial response force, right? So I think getting people to think about, you know, who are the people that you call for everyday emergencies? Those are the same people that you're going to see in larger emergencies. And just like in larger emergencies that affect your community, you may get a police unit, you may get a fire unit, sometimes you get the parks department, you know, as the incident expands, the number of people that help expand as well. And I think we can all at every level, be reinforcing that message, both in uh, our planning, right? How we engage the public in planning for emergencies, helping the public think about how to prepare for an emergency. And then when we're responding, I think that that has to be a very consistent message across all of those avenues. Or again, people will just automatically think of FEMA and they shouldn't uh, because again, we're just one part of the larger system.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, going back to that is that when we take a look at some of the training that we do um, here at the local aspect of it, we should actually make it much more um, visible, right? Uh, When we do our exercises and drills, uh, even in the EOC stuff, we never make it visible. People don't know what we're doing inside that box. Right. And I think that's one of the things that we should do as well.
0: Yeah. You know, and I think you raise a really good point. I'm glad you brought it up because I always look for an opportunity to talk about this. I think a lot of people, in the emergency management profession again i 'm not uh, I'm not identifying specific folks, but I think there's a general feeling in the profession, at least that existed previously, is that the public is something that we have to manage. Right. And I completely disagree with that approach. I think in order for your emergency plan to actually work, the public has to be a partner in executing that plan. Right. So the more that we can talk to the public about what's going to happen during an emergency and what we need them to do to help us respond and help people, the, the better off we're all going to be as a community. So talking to them about the plans, talking to them about what we what we're going to be doing as government, what we need the public to do, and then showing them, right, showing them training and exercise activities, getting them involved as participants in training and exercise activities. The more that we treat the public like a partner, the more they're going to partner with us during an emergency response.
1: Absolutely. I teach a class at UCI called The Social Impacts of Disaster, and that's part of it, is is realistically that the disaster impacts every part of our society, the social side of it. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, I wanna talk a little bit about what you guys are doing over region three. Sounds good.
0: Seconds count during an emergency. That's why at Titan HST, we're always inventing new technology to help people stay safe and help people who can provide help get connected with people who need help. At Titan HST, we've deployed mesh networking, allowing emergency communication Even when networks are down, augmented reality, and real-time translation, we believe in the power of people to help each other stay safe and thrive.
1: Are you looking for that bag to help you keep organized as you travel around? Something you can carry with you every day? Well, VanQuest was founded with a simple mission: Fill the toughest bags and packs for you to carry every day and to help you stay organized and prepared. VanQuest has been making the ultra durable bags and packs since 2011 and their bags and packs are trusted by the clients, such as the FBI, US secret service and US SOCOM. Yes, that is the US special operations command. Their bags and packs offer the best organization for the user from the experience, such as the high visibility interior for the users. And I'm telling you something. I love that orange inside the bag because I could find the things I need quickly. I love my VanQuest bag. Don't forget they offer free shipping, 100 day return guarantee and a lifetime warranty. And if you put in EM weekly, all caps, all one word, you get 10% off your total purchase. VanQuest.com. The Outer Limits Supply Company was founded on the idea of providing high quality first aid kits. Their goal is to supply the life saving equipment you'll need to mitigate the majority of medical or traumatic injuries often seen during austere conditions. Whether it is when you are on the outdoor adventure or your team has responded to a major crisis, the Outer Limit Supply Company provides practical, user-friendly first aid and trauma kits that anyone can use. If you enter EM Weekly at checkout, you'll receive 20% off your purchase. So go to www.outerlimitsupply.com today. thank you so much for listening to our sponsors, because without them, we could not bring the content that we're bringing you here today. So we'll jump down for a break. I just wanted to ask a couple questions um, what we alluded to earlier. How do you how do you see us getting more women involved in emergency management?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, I think, you know, we have to market the profession, I think, to different audiences, you know, and think about. Let's take college, for example. I think there's a lot of emphasis on having people with emergency management degrees. And I think that's an important part of building the profession for the long-term. I just think we can't do that to the exclusion of other degree interests, right? Because when I, I mean, again, when I started in emergency management, we you know, had a very diverse set of experiences, whether it was you had a bachelor's in economics or you were from the military or you were a firefighter or you didn't have a college degree. you know, I think there's a lot of non, also non-traditional routes to being an emergency manager. And I don't think that we want to discount those at the expense of just focusing on people that go through like a bachelor's and a master's in emergency management. That's important, but again, that's just one part of the puzzle. So if we do that and we think about how do we attract not just women, but other underrepresented communities to emergency management, I think, again, meeting people where they are. So thinking about looking at the affinity groups that those folks affiliate with, whether it's, um, you know, uh, Lots of campuses have African American student coalitions. Lots of campuses have, uh, you know, Latino and Hispanic uh, coalitions. I think going and talking to them about emergency management and what emergency management does, getting them interested, is is important. And I think out of the college environment, I think again how you market and who you market to is really important. And also thinking about having uh, things in the profession that will attract people whose lives are more diverse than just coming to work 9 to 5, right? So for, I think for women in, in particular, having family-friendly policies is really important because trying to juggle what can, what is a 24-7 job with small children and family responsibilities is, is, is a real, I think, inhibitor to folks. When I've talked to women about even advancing inside of FEMA, uh, that is a big concern for them, right? And so thinking about your family-friendly policies, which I will note: do not just help women, but help men as well. And I think that's an important an important thing that's left off in the conversation. Is a lot of this is like, oh, well, we have to make it family friendly for women. We should make it family friendly for fathers too. Fathers want to spend time with their kids. Uh, So I think the family friendly part is really important.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, I I am blessed to have a a great wife, and and uh, I mean, she works. She's a social worker as well, so it's not like she's sitting at home. Um, But she has the flexibility to be able to. to, to be with the kids when I have to leave. But sometimes, you know, that gets her a little niffed at me at times, you know, <laughs> you know when I'm gone well, for two, I, three weeks. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll
0: tell you, I mean, like, my biggest supporter is my husband, right? Like, I couldn't do what I do without him. And he's a teacher. He has a much more stable schedule than I do. But, you know, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be able to, I mean, frankly, have this job. I mean, it takes a team, especially if you're raising kids, you know, to work out how you're going to manage career and personal and, you know, it, that, that partnership is just really important.
1: You know, getting people involved in emergency management and um, we're, we're doing these things called EM shorts. Where we have emergency managers from around the country kind of weighing in on things. And uh, last week we had one um, where Tiffany, um, who's one, actually one of my students at one point, um, she was talking about getting youth involved in emergency management. And I think it's interesting that we don't have people who, well, I shouldn't say don't, there's not a lot of people out there who, when they're in high school or whatever, like I want to be an emergency manager when I grow up type thing. I know that Kelly McKinney's, he's on the board of directors for a school in New York city, which is EM, emergency management and public safety focused a high school, you know, a charter school, things like that. Um, what, what can we do to get people interested in becoming emergency managers, not just kind of like how you and I just talked about falling into it. You know, um, I fell into it. It wasn't something I planned on doing when I grew up. You know, how do we get people that really from the day one, when they go to college are interested in going on that career track to emergency management?
0: Yeah, you know, I think, again, exposure at the younger ages is really important. So thinking about Explorer programs, you know, uh, partnering with Explorer programs, like here in Philly, the fire and police departments have Explorer programs, thinking about how can you partner with them at an early age to, uh, you know, introduce exposed kids to emergency management, maybe think about starting an Explorer program with your emergency management uh, office. Uh, you know, the thing is CERT, right? CERT's another gateway, right? Yeah. So CERT, you're you know you're on a CERT as a middle school or a high school, you're helping and you're getting exposed to emergency management, you're seeing, hey, this is something I could actually make money on, right? And then I think one of the things that FEMA has done that's been really profound in bringing young people in is FEMA Core, right? So here's a group of folks, uh, younger, either just out of high school or just out of college, coming together, really didn't think about emergency management beforehand, but now they're getting a different exposure to the profession. I can't tell you how many Uh, FEMA, well, we have hired in region three, and I know we're not the only FEMA region that has done this, has hired people from FEMA Corps. They've been phenomenal employees, uh, and a lot of them never really thought about working in emergency management before they came to, you know, before they discovered FEMA Corps. So I don't think there's a one-size-fit-all approach. I think there's, what are all the different tools that we have available? How can we outreach to youth? How can we get them interested in an early age where they then kind of see that through high school and then into college? And then how do we convert them when they graduate college into an emergency management job, right? What's the career pipeline for them? Uh-huh. So I think all those things are really important.
1: You know, a lot of my people will reach out to me. LinkedIn is like one of the places where they reach out and they say, how do I break into emergency management? It's like really hard to get into, right? It's like a, uh, you know, winning the lottery, I suppose. And I, I tell them, I said, you need to have, you know, your experience uh, based along with your education. And when they ask about a good experience, I'm like, yeah, I mean, join, like the American Red Cross, or, or join Team Rubicon, you know, where you're going to be able to go across the country, maybe even internationally in some cases, and do on-the-ground emergency management type stuff. Um, you know, what do you think of using those, like like a Team Rubicon to pull, I mean, I know Jeff is on here uh, looking in here, you know, how, how do we pull into like like a Team Rubicon? How do we do a career track with those people that are interested in doing it and then and moving on into EM?
0: Yeah, you know, I think, again, any organization that has a touchpoint to disasters, they have an opportunity to engage youth, right? Because, you know, kids are interested in different things. Like I think about my son, you know, he's he's eight, he's interested in a lot of things. Right now, he's really into space, right? Maybe that's something that's going to take off and he's going to be an astronaut. Or maybe, you know, in two weeks, he might be interested in something else. So I think it's thinking about, like, how do you get kids interested at the different stages of their life? and then give them on-ramps, right? Because they may be interested for a little bit, but then they might pick up something else. So, but like later on, they might say, hey, you know, I really enjoyed that. I want to on-ramp back on, you know, on-ramp back into that. Uh, So I think you have to think about it as you, you know, and, and everybody that has kids knows like, You you can't you can't control them, but what you can do is present them with lots of different opportunities. And the more that you can expose them to different things, the more they might you know on ramp to something that could then become something else. So, I think it's at every stage of life, whether it's you know you're in the third grade or you're in sixth grade or you're in high school, we've got to think about those on ramping opportunities. And so, thinking about how the organizations in your community can help kids on ramp to a to a to a career in emergency management. And I will give uh, Jeff a shout out since did mention keep team room i saw his comments in there and i uh, just wanted to give him a shout out
1: so okay we have a question here it says when will we see em on the weather channel during non-emergencies thanks um eileen
0: yeah that's could you hear me yeah okay yeah i saw i you know i think uh, I think this goes back to making the public a partner in your plans, you know, and I will give another homage to Jeff. I, you know, we've always talked about, you know, like your neighbor is a first responder. right? When you have a disaster, whether it's your house floods or a tornado comes through or your house is on fire, the first people you usually see or at least the first people who call 911 are your neighbors. Right. So they are a part of the emergency response system whether we recognize it or not, right? So I would say you need to recognize the public is a key part of helping people after disasters. The one of the most important ways that you can get people to be helpful is to talk to them about what your plan is and what you need them to do. And we have to engage the public before an event. And so like one of the things, I'll take an example, one of the things I did when I was in Philly, we we did the city's evacuation plan, right? Uh, And so we thought about how are we going to roll that out? And you know, one of the things I I did a couple times in Philly is did background briefings for the press, right? So bring all the press into the EOC, you actually show them the plan, you show them the maps. We worked with the the main newspaper in Philadelphia, we developed some pre-canned artwork that they'd have ready to go. If we had to do an evacuation, they could just run it on their press you know all that pre-work helps for them during an event now the press is informed right you can uh you can start at the same play you know same level of awareness you've got some things pre-canned with them that they can run and they're still going to do their job and hold government accountable which is a you know key part of what they do but that doesn't mean we can't work with them as a partner to help educate people especially in times of crisis and then fast forward to FEMA one of the things that we've been thinking more about at least in region three is how can we do similar background briefings for the press to bring them up to speed in our program so we've been uh we've done that with our public assistance program given background briefings on how the program works so that when the press does ask questions their questions are more informed and Mm -hmm. they can be it can be better you know better stories to tell the public and also i think just better information for them so they you know understand how the program works and they're uh you know more accurate
1: yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things, too, is we, we can't be afraid to engage um, the public in that response because I, I tell I say this all the time. My first responder friends get mad at me sometimes. But as I always say, hey, actually, the fire and police are second responders because the first responders are definitely uh, definitely your neighbors. The first disaster that I was ever that I could remember in my entire life was the blizzard of 1977 in Buffalo, New York. And we had so much snow, you know, we couldn't. We were, we were actually socked in, and they actually had people on snowmobiles driving through the city to get people to the hospitals, and also to um, to bring food and and stuff to to people who didn't have it. And that's the that wasn't you know. Buffalo fire department or, or the, uh, you know, the police doing that, that was the local people who had snowmobiles in their garages that were able to get them out and, and doing that stuff. So yeah, I mean, community is, is always been that first step in, in uh, disaster response. And as emergency managers, we really need to embrace the community um, portion of it. Well, we're getting close here to the end. We got a couple minutes left. I'd like to give it some time for you to kind of just kind of pitch what you're doing and, and, uh, anything that you'd like to talk about specifically with, uh, with FEMA region three.
0: Yeah, so you know, we just closed out National Preparedness Month, so hopefully everybody took some of the month to get a little bit more ready. Uh, you know, we're going into uh, Fire Safety Month, so I think thinking about fire safety, especially where you are on the on the West Coast, really important given all the fires happening uh, across you know from Oregon all the way to California. Uh, is critical. And then I think, you know, we've got the great shakeout uh, coming up. So I think, uh, and, you know, we just had the earthquake swarm in in California uh, last night. So I think there's a lot, uh, a lot of preparedness that we can be doing and thinking about the shakeout uh, coming up and participating. Those are a couple things I'll mention. In ter- nationally, in terms of region three, you know, we uh, are still in the height of hurricane season. So we're obviously very tuned into that. And then thinking about how we're going to be able to safely respond and help people in the COVID environment is another thing we're really focused on.
1: Well, Marion, thank you so much for your time today. I know you're super busy and you got to get running. Um, I do appreciate it. Hey, and the door is always open whenever you want to come back.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot. This was great.
1: Awesome. Hey, everybody else. Thank you so much for joining us today uh, uh, for the Ian Weekly Show. Uh, I really appreciate you all spending time with me this morning. Uh, I want to say a quick shout out to my, my friends that are up in Sonoma County and uh, California here with that rager that's going on. Please, everybody, stay safe up there um and and if you guys need anything please feel free to reach out reach out early let us know and and i know that everybody here is in support of what's going on and for the rest of the fires that are happening across the country as well everybody thank you so much for listening and for the linkedin crowd this is our first linkedin uh live with with ian weekly uh it's exciting to see everybody out there uh talking and everybody please please stay safe out there you know um and, and and don't don't do anything crazy we have some bad things coming our way as far as storms and the fires and whatnot and just don't overwork yourself and, and reach out early to, to ask for help so stay safe and stay hydrated until next week we will see you